This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the Midas Touch podcast. Ben Micellis joined by Brett and Jordy Micellis fighting for our democracy with you day after day week after week and now year after year Midas touch has been in the news a lot lately been on SNL um, recently our ad that we were running about Trump not showing up in Virginia being too chicken shit to show up uh, Donald Trump responded to our ad in Mar-a-Lago Brett Jordy busy busy Midas touch uh, week huh Really busy week. First, just want to check in, brothers. How you guys doing? Jordy, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, I feel good. Um, a little upset, as we know, it was our dad's birthday over the weekend, and everyone was posting all these great, you know, throwback pictures with uh, him. But when you guys would post the family photos, I noticed something, and it was that I was just cut out of every photo. So, <laughs> what? You weren't cut out. The problem was you weren't in the photos, Jordy, because you live in Pittsburgh and we're in Los Angeles. And so when we're all together in LA, unfortunately, I could, I'll Photoshop you in next time. How about that? No, no, it's okay. it's okay. Here's the thing, Jordy. When it comes to posting pictures, the preference is to post pictures that are as recent as possible because mm -hmm. you don't want to give people false senses of like what you look like these days. You want to keep it current. We see you okay. Twitter catfishes out there. We see you. We want to keep it as current <laughs> as possible, not do these throwbacks. So we just did recent photos. Obviously, it hurt Jordy significantly. Jordy, okay. uh, reports, I'll get over it. reports from Pittsburgh where Jordy was crying hysterically all weekend. <laughs> but uh, are you feeling better, though, Jordy? Yeah, I feel good. I'm ready to do the show. I'm excited. We have a big show today, hey, guys. guys. Before we get to the reports from Florida of another big baby crying hysterically, let's first talk about Sai. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Let's talk about our guests. We just buried yeah, the big yeah, yeah. lead. Here. We just buried the big lead. We big got lead like that the... we have like Terry McAuliffe and Steve Schmidt wow. as our guests. Are you kidding me? Terry We're McAuliffe and Schmidt about... on one show on the same show? Who, who books these? Who's who's in charge of booking these? That's crazy. That's those I, are some I, two I, good I guests. I think it's more impressive just generally, Jordy, that uh, Steve Schmidt and Terry McAuliffe um, are want to do the show than you booking um, them. But uh, yeah, but yes, Jordy, you did book him. Jordy's our booker. Um, that's one of Jordy's job responsibilities. He does a great job at it. Thank you. And uh, and and we're really proud of you, Jordy. But <laughs> but how are we going to bury the lead there and talk about Jordy crying in Pittsburgh? Like nobody really gives a shit about that. We got Terry McAuliffe and Steve Schmidt. Let's go on, on the show. But let's talk about. The news, it's always interesting when Midas Touch becomes the center of news. So let's start by talking about SNL. Uh, let's start with SNL first, where uh, there was a skit on Biden. Um, Jen Psaki and Biden were in the clip together. And there were two times where they dropped the term Saki bomb. Can we play the clip from SNL? Jen, I got to tell you, you're dynamite in those press briefings with your, your quips and your one-liners. What do you call those little singers? Uh, facts. Though I uh, believe um, the internet calls them sake bombs. Ah, yeah. Love that. Lay some of those facts on me. 
Okay, um, your CNN Tom Hall was watched by no one, and your approval rating is in the dumpster. Hmm. <laughs> I scold Saki Bomb. <laughs> there you go, two references to Saki Bomb, but a broader debate emerged online, though. I don't think it's really a debate. Yeah, so I don't much. think it's a debate at all, so much as a contrast. Yeah, it's a contrast, and, and the contrast is Midas Touch I'm fine with making fun of Biden. Go for it. We should all make fun of the president of the United States <laughs> relentlessly and ruthlessly. That's funny. At the end of the day, the president is a civil servant. The president is an exalted bureaucrat. The president is not a cult leader. And we like presidents because they're competent, because they get up and do the work that they don't go golfing every single weekend, that they don't tell people to inject Clorox and they don't spread disinfo, that they don't hang out with dictators. That's why I like politicians, but I don't stand politicians. You know, and the whole thing with Saki bomb is we can have humor at the end of the day. But if, if Jen Saki were to start telling us, you know, to inject bleach in our veins, I would start getting out here and criticizing her tomorrow. <laughs> That's what separates us from the Trump cult. Yeah. And what you would see is whenever they would make fun of Trump on SNL, it would be calls. And Ben, you called this perfectly the other day when you said they would be like, cancel SNL and the show and the show. This is the liberal media. And no, it's like, no, we actually like when SNL is mocking our leaders. We actually, oh, yeah, OK, that's funny. OK, funny impression, funny, whatever. Like, that's how democracy is supposed to work. That's how this country is supposed to work. And, uh, you know, we were happy to hear Saki Bomb. Saki Bomb has made it into the lexicon. This was extra cool for me, too, because SNL, one of my things in my bucket list, and it's the silliest thing ever, was to do one of those opening skits on SNL and go live from New York. It's Saturday night. Like, I just thought that was the coolest thing, especially as a New York growing up watching that show. I always wanted to do that. So I got to sort of live that vicariously through this scene when they said Saki bomb. So it's extra special sad. for me. That is sad, Jordy. Uh, first, let me say first on your dream to become SNL, first rule of SNL is yeah. don't call it a skit. Call it, they're called sketches. Fuck. And they, you know, the, the improv that community, out. That out. the improv community takes that very seriously, very seriously. Sketches, I take it back. So that was what's in the news on Saki bomb. And then yesterday, Trump sent out a tirade, a statement by Donald Trump. And this is what his statement said. What good is it if Fox News speaks well of me when they continually allow horrible and untruthful anti-Trump commercials to be run and plenty of them in the good old days that would never have happened. And today no, it happens thanks. all of the time. Ratings challenge CNN and MSNBC would never run a positive Trump ad. Never. With so many forces against us, big tech, the fake news media, the radical left, the rhinos and more. We are at such a disadvantage, but we will win anyway. There's so many ridiculous things with this statement. I mean, number one, this is like a blabbering buffoon. This is a psychotic individual. This is when we get the emails at work from like the crazies or you know, it's like <laughs> yes. oh, that's a, it's like yo that's if we say that's a 5150 email you know hey did you get the email yeah that's a 5150 which is the code for involuntarily <laughs> checking somebody into you know you know a mental ward and that's what this statement is number one but he's referring to the Midas Touch ad that was running on the local Fox News channels in the West Palm area. Brett, explain what Midas Touch did to provoke Trump in this way. 
Well, I think our listeners actually know better than everybody else because we announced, we gave the exclusive actually to the Midas Touch podcast that we were going to run this ad in Mar-a-Lago. Listeners of the show will remember that. And so I'll break the the exclusive to ourselves. To ourselves. (laughs) Exactly. Exclusive. Exclusive Exclusive for you. I mean, normally we'd go to the press first for something like that, but we went straight to you, the people. That's what we do here. Here's what we announced on the podcast. This is from October 18th. Is this an exclusive? Is this a Midas exclusive? Are we breaking news? news? We are. We are breaking news here. We will be airing that ad in Mar-a-Lago when Donald Trump returns to Mar-a-Lago. So stay (laughs) tuned. Let's keep that our little secret. And we'll have that beaming on his television on Fox News uh, quite frequently for the next week. So for the timeline, we made the ad Trump in hiding. A lot of you have seen it. For those who haven't seen it, let's just play it. It's short. We'll play it right now. Donald, why are you so scared to go to Virginia? Is it because you know Glenn Youngkin wants nothing to do with you? Or is it because your loser stench rubs off on everyone you touch? President Obama is showing up. President Biden is showing up. And Dr. Biden is showing up. Stacey Abrams is showing up. If you weren't too weak or scared or washed up, you would get to Virginia fast. But you won't. Instead, you're just phoning it in like a coward. Midas Touch is responsible for the content of this advertisement. So we made that ad to mock Trump because nobody wants Trump in Virginia. Trumpkin, Glenn Trumpkin, is trying to play both sides of the fence here where he's trying to both act like he's a man of the people, kind of an old school kind of Republican, a kind of a George Bush, kind of John McCain Republican, while also appealing to the QAnon crew. But he'll go so f- he'll go very far in that direction, so far as to even at some of his rallies, they are giving the Pledge of Allegiance to flags That's that just. they use during the January 6th insurrection. But... To date, he has only allowed Trump to actually phone into his rallies, only call into his rallies. And the Republican Party and Glenn Youngkin's campaign is telling Trump, stay in Florida. Do not come to Virginia. We don't want you because every time you show your face here, our poll numbers plummet. So we made this ad. And so, of course, after we made this ad, we were like, okay, we got to run this to an audience of one, right? We got to run this to Donald Trump himself because what is this weak loser doing? He's going to he's going to accept the fact that they don't want him in Virginia. Really? Okay. And so we decided to run this at Mar-a-Lago, as we told you last week. And the big debate was, when do we run it? because we were originally going to run it at the beginning of last week, but then Trump was being deposed in New York. And so we had to switch plans quickly. We ended up getting it up on the air in West Palm Beach starting last Thursday, and it's been running every day on Fox News Channel in that specific market, a very targeted and precision buy. And so... You know, of course, we're always like, you know, this could work. This maybe this doesn't work. Well, you know, we'll, we'll see, though. Well, you know, you, you got to take risks sometimes. And oh, boy, did he bite. Hillary Clinton was so right when she said you could bait this man with a tweet. And <laughs> if our video triggered him in this way, being on Fox News, just think about how easy it is for world leaders to have triggered this guy. Think about how easy it was for Putin back when Trump was president to take advantage of our country. If three brothers could get into the mind of this maniac and drive him insane, it honestly terrifies me terrifies me that this man had power over our country and that all the world leaders were able to manipulate him in the same way. Oh, absolutely. And there's so many decisions that are made with that ad. Go back. You could rewind the podcast and just listen to the ad. I mean, there's the content of it. There is the messaging behind it. And then also it's how it's being delivered. 
the choices that we make of who the narrator is going to be, um, how the narrator is going to convey the info mm -hmm. is based on psychological analysis that we've done and kind of built the portfolio of Trump over the past, what, 18 to 20, you know, 20 months or so since we've created Midas Touch. But that one particularly, <laughs> go back and listen to it and you'll know exactly why that one stings Trump particularly well. Um, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I think we all have <laughs> times where we need to have a mental health break. And for me, that is BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. And there is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. Log into your account anytime, send a message to your therapist and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. As with traditional therapy, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com slash reviews. It's review after review of people whose lives have been positively impacted like my own from using BetterHelp. So go to betterhelp.com slash Midas. That is betterhelp.com slash Midas. That's better H-E-L-P. And join over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of experienced professionals. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. And there is a special Midas Touch offer for you listeners of Midas Touch Podcast. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com dot com slash Midas. That's betterhelp.com slash Midas. Now I want to talk about a lot of news going on in January 6th. Updates, updates. We, we updates. Got updates. Can, we, can I get sued by Legal AF for stealing the updates for Midas Touch? We have to give, I think all of our listeners here are also listeners of Legal AF, but for those who aren't, <laughs> go check out the Legal AF podcast over the weekend. Ben Micellis, I'm just calling myself Ben Micellis, uh, me and Michael Popak. <laughs> you get a blue check mark, man. Your ego just goes through the roof, through the roof. I wish I had the yellow cards that you give out to Popak for oh saying, for third person reference. Third person. Oh We're giving ourselves God. exclusive and I'm referring to a podcast between Ben Micellis and Michael Popak. And that's a podcast with me and Michael and me and Michael Popak. But look, being able to do this and being able to host podcasts is a little bit of an out of body experience. When you think about it, though, that we get to go on here, we get to talk to people about news that matters. I get to also host a legal podcast. You know, in my other career, I'm a lawyer where I could break down legal news and analysis. But on that show, we give updates of Supreme Court rulings and what's going on in other cases. So we go updates, updates, updates. So here on the Midas Touch podcast, we are going to take that updates, updates, updates. And no, Jordy, Legal AF is not entitled to legally hold the right. trademark to updates, updates, updates or a copyright. That would I just don't want Popa coming after me. I, I hear you. So here are the updates. 
on the investigations into January 6th. It was reported recently that January 6th protest organizers, we shouldn't have even calling them protest organizers. These are fucking insurrectionists. So that's a, a, a bad headline that I was reading from, but let's just call them what they are. These insurrection or rioters participated in dozens of planning meetings with members of Congress and White House staff. There are these two rally organizers who were part of the insurrection um, on January 6th basically have said there were about a dozen representatives and their teams who they were planning the insurrection with. Quote, we would talk to Boebert's team, Cawthorn's team, Gosar's team, like back to back to back, said the organizers. It's always, Quote, the, it's always the same names, right? Every single time. It's always the same names and the people who are most vocal in calling the people who attacked the Capitol on January 6th, freedom fighters, political prisoners, the people who are trying the most to block the investigations into January 6th, the same names come up every single time. As Jamie Harrison said, a hit dog will holler. Uh, quote, I remember Marjorie Taylor Greene specifically, the same organizer said, um, the names of both sources have been kept secret. This was from a Rolling Stones report. They said they were willing to share information about the protests because they were upset that their demonstrations had turned into a siege on the U.S. Capitol is what these protesters, you know, said. But um, it's becoming increasingly clear, Brett, there was also reporting from uh, Peril, the book by um, Bob Woodward and Robert Costa um, about the Willard being used as uh, uh, being used as like the planning center for the insurrection, right? Yeah, it's quite horrifying actually to to read this, and I think I'll just read a little excerpt from uh, from Peril because it breaks down the story. And o overall, what we see that happened in the Willard Hotel was it was the command center for the January 6th insurrection. On January 5th, Donald Trump and his cohorts were doing everything in their power to try to see how they could overturn the results of the free and fair election and anoint Donald Trump dictator, basically. That's what they were trying to do. And so their last line of defense here was basically Vice President Pence. And they were all trying to get to Pence because they thought that he had the special power to overturn the results. And so here's the story. I'll just break it down for you. And I'll, I'm going to read it all because I think it's important. So after Pence leaves the Oval Office on January 5th, Trump was furious because Pence wasn't breaking. He opened up the door near the Resolute desk and a rush of cold air blasted across the room. He could hear the mob in the streets outside the Willard and Trump is elated to hear them. Remember, Trump was so excited that people were showing up to fight for him. This was his moment. This was his attack, you know? Staffers filled in, some began to shiver. Still, Trump did not close the door. The noise outside grew louder, almost like a party. Isn't that great, Trump exclaimed. Tomorrow is going to be a big day. Trump went around the room asking for advice from congressional Republicans. How do we get them to do the right thing? No one offered an answer that satisfied him. Of course, to do the right thing, in Trump's mind was how do we get them to anoint me a dictator and overturn the results of this election? This was happening at the Willard Hotel the night before January 6th. Trump calls Senator Ted Cruz and says, you need to object to all the states that could be raised by the House. Cruz says his group will object to Arizona and focus on calling from his proposed commission to probe the election. Trump was unhappy and wanted even more to be done than that. And Pence wasn't budging. Trump's back was to the wall. Senate Republicans were holding to doing their own thing. Trump decided to turn to the Willard group for backup, for more aggression. And this is when he knows the mob is outside, ready for the next day 
to attack the capital. And here are the people with him. And these names are not going to surprise you as well. Steve Bannon, Giuliani, Boris Epstein, and John Eastman, the attorney who wrote the memo about how Trump could overturn the results of the election. People were in the street, and Trump was euphoric, apparently, about these crowds in the street, just elated that these people were there. We to saw fight him. Trump. We yeah. saw him in the tent. Yeah, and this was the night before. And so Trump decided to act with help from that war room. And late Tuesday evening, Trump released a statement saying that him and Pence were in total agreement about what to do the following day. That wasn't true. That was bullshit. But this is Trump trying to push Pence's hand to overturn the results of the election. And this is when some of the other people in the room started to panic a little bit and be like, oh, shit, what are we involved in right now? Right. What are we involved in? And so Jason Miller is the one who helped craft the statement, apparently, and they refused to retract any of it. And this is what Miller said to people who questioned them. He said, the vice president has the ability to do this. He needs to be loyal. Mm -hmm. That was Jason Miller's comment. And then Trump called Giuliani and called Bannon. Trump described Pence basically as just being incredibly arrogant. That's what Trump said. He's such a projectionist, this guy, that Pence was so arrogant because he wouldn't buckle to his whims and overturn the results of the election. And he realized that Pence wasn't going to break, but that wasn't going to stop him. So this was just a powder keg now leading up to January 6th. Picture Trump trying to make all these moves, trying to get Pence to do everything he can to overturn the results actually in Congress itself, and he couldn't get it done. So he knew that turning this crowd loose on the Capitol was his last opportunity for success here. And so based on the reporting, the Willard scene on January 5th into the early hours of January 6th, it's the culmination of this pressure campaign to prevent Biden from taking office. They pushed that memo, the Eastman memo argument to the VP. They were relentless about it. And Pence, you know, to his credit, didn't fault here because he did not have the constitutional power to do what they wanted him to do. And by the time Trump took the stage on January 6th, they had literally pulled every single lever that they could possibly pull to try to overturn the results. And now the last thing that they had was to turn this crowd, set them loose on the Capitol. And that led us to the events that we saw that day, that horrifying, horrifying day, which has stuck with us, that is ingrained in our minds that we are investigating right now. That's how it all happened. Well, he said two funny things, Brett. He said that we're investigating right now, and that's how it all happened. I think that's what frustrates some of the listeners because exactly. the latter part of your statement is that's how it happened. We know how it happened. Like we saw it with our own totally, eyes. Totally, totally. And you know, and and that is what we are investigating. We need to double check if gravity is real. Yes, exactly. Right? No, <laughs> this is, this is exactly why. This is exactly why, by the way, that, that Rolling Stone article, it's a nothing burger to me. We know Marjorie Taylor Greene's complicit. We know all of these people are already complicit. They've said so themselves. In fact, Scott Dworkin, the Dworkin Report, has done such a better job covering this. I mean, he has these great threads of just Marjorie Taylor Greene, just face to video, saying these absurdities about how she had a great planning session. There was nothing in that article that we didn't already know. The interesting thing to me, and sorry to go back, you know, what we were talking about, is that there are two people who were, you know, planners now cooperating with the committee. That's the only thing in that article that's a bombshell revelation to me. Yeah, well, it shows you the investigations proceeding. They got this information from organizers of the event, which shows that they are talking to Congress. And 
you know, you could knock the investigation. I know that everyone's frustrated that it isn't moving because, like you said, we all know everything that's going on. But a lot is happening. I mean, Oleg Deripaska's home was raided by the FBI. We don't know what it was related to, but he's a guy who's super tied up with Trump and Manafort. Bannon was referred to for contempt. Gates now has two senior prosecutors from DOJ on him in his case. The Washington Post piece came out about the Willard. Uh, we have Facebook now cooperating with the January 6th committee. We have this bombshell story about these uh, organizers working with Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Paul Gosar at all. I mean, that's a lot to happen just in the past week alone from this committee and from DOJ, which shows you that as stressed out as we are, that these things are moving along that. And that's why I, you know, actually, I mean, look, think about that list. Like, look at that list and tell me that things aren't happening. Yeah, no, things, things, things are happening. I just think that, um, we are now approaching the end of 2021, um, as crazy as that sounds. And, you know, we are, you know, those things are happening, but there is a real fear um, that if we don't hold the House, if we don't continue to win elections as Democrats, the only party that supports democracy, that what you end up happening is the GQP comes in and they literally, like the fascists they are, cover it up and pardon themselves mm -hmm. and and move on, you know, and move oh, on. Oh, yeah, that's why this has to be wrapped up fast, because you know that if the Republicans take the House and we cannot let that happen, but if that were to happen, they'd shut this shit down right away. Like oh, this investigation, oh, this is all over. Here's proof of it. So today, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, she tweeted very non-controversial statement, which says any member of Congress who helped plot a terrorist attack on our nation's capital must be expelled. OK, that's a very reasonable. I, I think everybody would want to agree with that statement, that if you are a member of Congress, OK, and you helped plot a terrorist attack on our nation's capital, if, if you were bin Laden, you at a very bare minimum should be expelled from your position. You shouldn't be a representative anymore. She did not mention Marjorie Taylor Greene's name or Bobbert's name or any names like that in <laughs> no this names. tweet. She simply said, if you're a terrorist, you shouldn't be in Congress. <laughs> to which Marjorie Taylor Greene responds, again, I challenge you to debate me, quote tweeting Alexandria Cortez. You have a big problem understanding our laws because you want to tear our country apart because you are a communist. You're actually guilty of much worse. You and many Democrats funded, encouraged, and participated in civil war. Okay, first off, Marjorie Taylor Greene, AOC's tweet didn't even mention you by name, you psychotic so, individual. So we call a tell in the biz. Yeah. So we call, we call a, tell. a tell. Anyone who helped organize a terrorist attack against the United States should be held responsible. Hey, why are you saying that about me? I mean, I didn't mention you by name. And they're but. literally <laughs> living in a fake world. You and Democrats funded, encouraged, and participated in, in a civil war. Like, what is what the fuck are they even saying, these these psychos? Right. I mean, they are living in a in a fantasy world that they've created in their own heads. And this is classic. The Democratic behavior. Civil War, Ben, was clearly after the Bowling Green Massacre, which we all but, remember. But let, remember but let me Bowling tell you Green this, Massacre? though. In, in all in all seriousness, though, um, you know, North Korea, right? Uh, they tell their people that they are still like in a hot war and that the, you know, what we call the Korean War has never ended. Um, and they have a whole different view of like what took place during the Korean War. 
and that it's still ongoing, it's still active. And it's kind of that mentality, this Kim Jong-un-ish, like this fake creation of what's going on that these GQ peers, that these GQ peers create. So anyway, that's that just wanted to play it's, that. It's, it's very North Korea. And let's just be clear. Anybody, AOC is right. Anybody who aided, abetted, participated, organized the January 6th insurrection should be held accountable. Absolutely. And all these people at minimum sub, should be subpoenaed. Gosar, Biggs, Green, Bobert, Cawthorn, Gomert, Brooks, uh, Ali Alexander, all these people need to be subpoenaed. They need to be prosecuted. There needs to be consequences for this action, because if you don't, we're allowing the next attack to happen. We can't tell you what to dress up for at Halloween, but we can tell you you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? You could save 50% or more if you didn't hear me the first time on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. That is real savings right there. That kind of service, it's earned Policy Genius thousands of five star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. And eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week thanks to an award winning policy option that swaps the standard medical exam requirement for a simple phone call, which I love. This exclusive policy was recently rated number one by Forbes Advisor, higher than options from Ladder, Ethos, and Besto. How does it work? Get started is easy. First, head to policygenius.com slash Midas. Go to policygenius.com slash Midas. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling for free. Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees. So head to policygenius.com slash Midas and get started right now. That's policygenius.com slash Midas. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. We have a special guest right now, former governor of Virginia. Hot off the campaign trail. Hot off the campaign trail. Former governor of Virginia. You know, Virginia has a weird rule. You can't have consecutive terms as a governor. It's a very strange rule. I didn't know that rule. That's crazy. That's why you didn't run the next time. But former governor of Virginia, um, currently the Democratic candidate against Glenn Youngkin. Welcome to the podcast, Governor. We call him Trumpkin. We don't call him Yunkin. We call him Trumpkin. <laughs> exactly. He's definitely Trumpkin. And also, I don't think it's even fair to call him a Republican anymore. He's really an authoritarian. Yeah. He is a Trump worshiper, a DeSantis worshiper. Do you yeah. think, Governor, that Virginia really knows how radical Trumpkin is? Well, we're trying to make everybody know he's been endorsed by Trump six times. He has said, quote, so much the reason I'm running is because of Donald Trump. He has said for eight months, the most important issue facing Virginia, election integrity. He said the other day he wants to audit all of our machines. He's against a woman's right to choose. He's against gay marriage. I mean, he is as far over as far over can be. He was a private executive at a private equity firm until they threw him out. Running for governor of Virginia is not a consolation prize. I got to tell you that. 
And Governor Trumpkin, he seems to be afraid of everything right now. I think he's avoiding interviews. That's he's right. avoided, you know, yes. Joe Scarborough. He's avoided probably Debates. 10 to 12 other outlets. Mm-hmm. What, what, you know, what's he running from? So he won't, you know, he wouldn't debate me. Uh, we had five scheduled debates. He pulled out all of them, but then was forced in to do two. He won't answer any reporter's questions. He won't go on any shows. I've done 10 shows, national shows last. They all say he won't come. Sure, he's scared. Number one, he knows nothing about state government. Number two, he is very dangerous in that he wants to ban abortions. So, Glenn, do you support a woman's right to choose? The answer is no. Do you support gay marriage? The answer is no. Do you support Medicaid expansion? The answer is no. So he's taking his private equity money, walked out with 500 million bucks, and he's just trying to run TV ads, look like a reasonable guy. But he is the most homophobic, anti-choice candidate in Virginia history. And I ran against Ken Cuccinelli. And that's saying something, guys. He, and it seemed like in the last debate, the one that he did do, he kind of short circuited. He was asked a very simple question about vaccine mandates for measles, mumps and rubella. A very obvious question about whether he supported those vaccine mandates. And he seemed to be very flustered. What was going through your mind when you saw that? And do you think that the people of Virginia saw that and said, how in the world could we let this guy be anywhere near our children? Well, he's a big anti-vaxxer. He goes on Trump radio, Trump right wing shows and says, number one, quote, if you don't want to take it, don't take it. Quote, there are many good reasons not to be vaccinated. We caught him on tape telling college students, if you don't want to get it, just fill an exemption for whatever reason. He doesn't believe that nurses and doctors who work in cancer wards with immunocompromised patients, you know, chemo or radiation, he doesn't think they should be vaccinated. He said day one, all masks come off when he's elected and no requirements for teachers to be vaccinated. Think about that. You're sending your six-year-old to first grade and the teacher's not vaxxed and she's not, or he's not wearing a mask? Really? The guy is just plain dangerous. And he would not say at the debate if he would mandate measles, mumps, and rubella, which we've only been doing here in this country for decades. If you go to Virginia K-12, you have to get at least 10 vaccinations. My son, who serves the United States Marine Corps, 17 vaccinations. You know what? They're safe. People need to do it. I I want to require people to be vaccinated. He does it. But, you know, he doesn't know anything about anything. It's just whatever Trump says. He sort of goes along. You know, I call him Trump in khakis. (laughs) And that's what's killing me, Governor. It's that as the COVID numbers right now are finally starting to come down, we're finally seeing a light at the end of this tunnel. Your opponent seems to be modeling his COVID policy after the two worst governors in the country, Abbott and DeSantis. What would that mean for Virginians? Well, he he said uh, that he the model is Florida. He thinks DeSantis has been a role model. I can just tell you in Florida today, 225,000 children quarantined, 87 teachers are dead. I mean, really, that's your model? He wants to bring the Texas abortion laws to Virginia. He said the other day, top of his agenda, bringing Georgia's voting laws to Virginia. Now, I got to tell you, you're talking the guy who was governor and restored more voting rights than any governor in the history of the United States of America. As you all know, I erased a Jim Crow racist law that had gone on since 1902, 114 years. And with executive order, I gave 206,000 people back the right to vote. And this guy will roll all that back. And that's why people got to get out and vote. We had the vice president here. I got President Obama here. I got the president Tuesday. Stacy's coming in uh, Sunday to do a Dave Matthews concert. We've got Pharrell doing an event Not for us. Bad. Not bad. Not bad. We got action here in Virginia. But your opponent has Steve Bannon. So how do you compete with that? <laughs> 
And that's important you raise that. that that's important. Uh, let me just say this, Brett. They, at that Bannon rally, which Trump called into and said, Youngkin will do whatever I want him to do. They actually did the Pledge of Allegiance to a flag that was used in the January 6th Capitol insurrection. Are you kidding me? That is sickening. And what did Glenn say? Oh, he profusely thanked the organizers for putting the event together. Think about what I just said. They came in with a flag and said this was flown in the January 6th insurrection. And they all did the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, simple democracy, but it was used that day to destroy our very democracy. It's sick. Why do you think it took him so long to respond? It seemed like he didn't want to respond at first. And then he was like, oh, yeah, that was kind of oh, that was kind of weird, I guess. He called it weird. I mean, who does that? <laughs> you know, that was a surrogate rally for me. I, I would have said, as I just said here, disgraceful, disgusting, unpatriotic, weird. He also said, you know, he won't go squishy on the pro-life folks. Squishy. What is that? Yeah, what is that? And the thing I like about you, Governor, is there's nothing hypothetical about your leadership. And you were just speaking no. about what you did for voting rights. You were governor from 2014 to 2018. This is recent history. Remind yeah. our listeners about some of the other accomplishments that you're proud of and how you could build on these accomplishments should you be governor again. So I remind you, when I took office, Virginia had the most anti-women, anti-gay, anti-environment, anti-immigrant legislation in the country. They had passed the horrible 2012 ultrasound bill, if you remember, which made us a laughing stock in America. So when I took office, I changed all of that. I got rid of the Board of Health. They were trying to shut the 16 clinics down. I'm very proud. I kept all 16 women's clinics open. I'm the first governor after the historic ruling to perform a gay marriage in America. I was trying to send a message to the globe. We're an open, welcoming state. And guess what happened? 1,100 economic deals. I wrote the bid for Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Nestle, CoStar. All moved operations here to Virginia. My economy took off. 200,000 new high-paying jobs. Personal income went up 14%. Unemployment dropped in every city and county in the Commonwealth. And I left a half a billion dollar surplus. I inherited a $2.4 billion deficit. That's what Democrats will give you. Sound leadership, job creation, socially progressive. None of this crazy Trump insanity dividing. But let me tell you, Glenn Youngkin is Trump Jr., and Trump wants to use this election. He wants to use this election to get him off the mat for 2022 and 24. So if you're really jazzed up and you're listening, you want to help me, take out your phone and text Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, to 50550. I need help. We got to beat Trump. I've beaten him twice here in Virginia. I was the governor, ran both presidential elections. I'm going to beat him for the third time. He's going down. Zero three, McAuliffe Trump. So, Governor, the right to choose is under attack. Uh, the Supreme Court has refused to block Texas's near ban on abortion. And there will be cases soon at the Supreme Court that directly challenge Roe v. Wade. So how will you protect Virginia's right to choose? And what do you think would happen should your opponent be in charge of the Commonwealth? Yeah, let's be clear. If Glenn Youngkin is elected, he, he's caught on tape, which we've released. He said, I will go on the offense to ban abortions and defund Planned Parenthood. He truly believes this. He doesn't believe a woman should have that right to make their own decisions about her body. Now, for 50 years here in America, we've talked about it, but we always knew the Supreme Court would protect Roe v. Wade. That's over. The Trump Supreme Court, six to three, it's yeah. over. They're not going to intervene on the Texas case, and they're going to have hearings beginning November 1st. You're going to have the Mississippi other case coming in. They're going to go after viability. Abortions will end as we know it in this country. Right. In Texas today, abortion is illegal. A woman does not even know she's pregnant in six weeks. So he wants to bring that here. That's why every woman in America needs to be engaged. It is dangerous for women. I'm talking to my health providers here in Virginia. They're already getting calls from Texas women. Can they come to Virginia? And if they don't do that, 
then they could have an illegal, dangerous abortion. So it's dangerous for women. And I'll tell you, it's also crippling to an economy. You think Amazon's going to come to a state that discriminates against women? Not happening. What's your closing argument to the people of Virginia? Why they should vote for you November 2nd? I think the biggest argument would be I got us out of an economic crisis before. I have the experience, leadership. COVID has been so brutal and it's not going away anytime soon. And you need a governor who's got the experience to get us out of this COVID crisis, who's got big, bold ideas, a record investment in education and in healthcare. I'll take Virginia next level. I got to keep the House of Delegates. We've got a five seat lead. I got to get my lieutenant governor and attorney general. But with that whole team coming together, this state is going to take off like a booster rocket. You three of you, you're going to be moving to Virginia, man. This is going to be the action spot. <laughs> we love it. And just to conclude, Governor Trumpkin, he's pro-COVID, right? He's a, he's a true pro-COVID anti-vaxxer. And it's scary. And he's against the woman's right to choose. He's against gay marriage. And we got to stop him. I need your help. Come on, everybody. Get in the game. Sleep when you're dead. <laughs> Governor, thank you so much right. for joining the Midas yes. Touch podcast. Yes. Let's right. go. November 2nd. Vote Governor McAuliffe for Governor of Virginia. We appreciate you coming on the right. Midas Touch right. podcast. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. There you have it, guys. We had uh, Governor McAuliffe uh, Let's go. on the show. I mean... And we're not done yet. We got Steve Schmidt coming on. We got Steve soon, Schmidt on this. What an episode. What this an episode. Is a, this you is want a, to bring this. in Steve Schmidt now? Let's uh, hold, hold on. First, I just want to say something about Virginia, and I just cannot emphasize this enough. This race is so important, and we need everybody to get out there and vote. And if you're not, if you do not live in the Commonwealth of Virginia, we need you to be texting voters. We need you to be tweeting messages of support for Governor McAuliffe. We need you to be doing everything you can just to convince others as to why it is so important to get Governor McAuliffe reelected. And I think he laid out his case brilliantly, and we cannot let this Trumpkin take over Virginia. We just cannot let it happen. And, you know, the race is close, but I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely feeling good. So let me tell you about feels. How about that? Ooh, and before ooh, we get good to transition. Because CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel. You know, stress, anxiety, pain. Feels is a way to actually feel better. So it's a, this, here's, here's what feels. Let me break it down for you, all right? Feels break is a premium CBD that helps keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free. It's delivered directly to your door. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, sleeplessness, and there's no hangover or addiction. 2021 with all this news going on, I know that there are people like me who have a lot of anxiety throughout their days. It's a real issue. It could be really debilitating, but that's why Feel CBD has been such a help to me and that's why I recommend it for you. Here's what you do. You just place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you could feel the difference within minutes. And the thing to remember about CBD is finding your right dose is important and everybody has a different dose. And so you really wanna make sure that you're finding the right dose that works for you. Cause I've used stuff in the past that I thought, eh, this isn't really working, but you just gotta get the right amount and feels actually has a team that could help you do it feels offers a free cbd hotline to help guide your personal experience so that you find this perfect dose and the feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your cbd joining the feels monthly membership makes your self-care easy you'll save money on every order and you could pause or cancel at any time so start feeling better with feels become a member today by going to feels.com slash midas and you'll get 50 percent 
off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash Midas to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash Midas, M-E-I-D-A-S. Brothers, what we got next? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What do we have next? We are joined by someone who truly needs no introduction, but it's my job to give introductions. We've got <laughs> Steve Schmidt, longtime political strategist and one of the founders of the Lincoln Project. Steve, thank you for joining the Midas Touch podcast. Great to be with you guys. How are you? I'm doing good. And as I see that background, Steve, I think about all the interviews where you've just annihilated people sitting right in front of that background, <laughs> just, going at, just going at them, huh? Right? <laughs> you see that stone, you got to run. You see that stone and Steve Schmidt, don't be anywhere near that vicinity. Steve, in all seriousness, though, the, the GOP, you know, the former political party that was once your former political party. Um, at this stage right now, we call them the GQP. We don't call them the GOP, a full-fledged fascist party that doesn't support Democrat, you know, small D democracy anymore, like without a doubt at this point, right? Oh, I, absolutely. Um, look, a couple of things. It's the third oldest political party in the world, um, along with the Democratic Party, it's, which is the first oldest in the world. Um, you know, these institutions have monumental importance in our society. Um, and beyond our society, the two political parties, I would argue, despite a lot of flaws and a lot of commitment to injustice, are also uh, simultaneously two of the greatest institutions for the advancement of human freedom and dignity in the world. So to watch the collapse uh, morally, of the of the Republican Party uh, into a proto-fascism, um, to see in effect what would have been in a previous generation the John Birchwing be ascendant and triumphant, or um, to see the Know Nothings um, be ascendant and triumphant, um, to see the impulses that fueled the Boond and Charles Lindbergh be ascendant um, as we enter into the third decade of the of the 21st century. Um, a country that has two parties and one of them has broken the compact that exists between us about how we share power, about how we put people in charge um, and has rejected um, the peaceful transition of power, tried to whitewash an insurrection, um, tried to pass legislation in the hundreds uh, to nullify votes. We're at, a, we're at a very, very dark place. And, um, you know, looking back, you know, in the, in the moment, uh, Churchill in his, in his biographies, um, in the first book, The Gathering Storm, you know, trying to explain how it came to be that 100 million people were killed, 
you know, within a generation of the tragedy of the First World War. And, and what he said is that the, the malice of the wicked was aided by the weakness of the virtuous. And I think that's an important concept to understand right now about the Republican Party. You know, and I also think, though, the weakness of the virtuous could also, in this sense, be uh, those who need to hold the GQP accountable. I mean, the people who we were relying on, you know, in the Democratic Party, you know, you have people like cinemas and mansions who are basically allowing the GQP march to happen. It's like history's repeating itself, um, you know, all over again when we see how fascists were able to take over with appeasement, you know, in, in, in the policies that England had with Germany. I feel like we're seeing it again here with Democrats who are unwilling to stand up um, and truly understand the cause and use the majority to do things that actually benefit the people. Well, what I would say is, you know, I think it's a look, I, I think that, you know, we're either for democracy um, or we're not. And so the way the Senate is situated right now, a um, lot of disappointment on the progressive side about uh, Joe Manchin and the climate change legislation. Um, but here's the deal, and this is why I went into politics, because you don't have to be a rocket scientist really to figure it out, right? If you're, if you're relying on the, on the senator from West Virginia, the nation's number one coal state, <laughs> uh, to pass the climate change legislation, right? you're fucked, right? You got you to gotta find another vote somewhere, right? Dog's not going to hunt, right? Just, just reality. Um, you know, the on the question of voting rights um, and these issues, um, I was talking about this, you know, in January. It should have always been the strategy to communicate, whether from the president, whether from Democratic leaders, to say, let me make my position clear on this. I'm against repealing the filibuster. Except, however, if you try to roll back voting rights and civil rights in this country. And then we're going to put that ahead of protecting the institution of the filibuster in the United States Senate. Um, but look, the reality is, and this is this isn't an ideological question, right? This is a common sense question, right? If you if you run for president and the Democratic Party and certainly the groups that we were involved in, right, were united in saying we have an exigent national emergency. The, the, the entire issue in the election is Trump, right? After he loses, we see an insurrection. We watch drop by drop faith and belief being poisoned in democracy for months. And we see hundreds of pieces of malice voting restriction legislation, you know, being, um, being filed, uh, uh, you know, this is this is an inevitable clash. Can the fascists, we all hear these doom and gloom stories of 2022, you know, can the GOP, which is now a fascist anti-democracy party, 
um, can they be defeated and what do we need to do collectively to make sure, you know, we hear about all of the gerrymandering, you know, all of the issues where they genuinely are trying to tip the scales in their favor. Can they be defeated, though? Yeah, look, I mean, there, there are three times in the last 120 years where the incumbent president's party has picked up seats in the first midterm. Um, last time it happened was 2002. Um, it happened in 1934, which was FDR's first term. You know, there was a huge schism in the Democratic Party between the New Dealers and the Democratic Socialists. Upton Sinclair famously running for governor of California that year as a socialist. FDR terrified that the socialist wing of the Democratic Party could be ascendant. Um, so you were dealing with a lot just like now, uh, but Democrats picked up seats. We, the, the thing that the Democrats have to do as a matter of political strategy uh, is to nationalize the election around a threat. And, and the threat is um, the extremist movement. Now, uh, there is an element of pragmatism that has to come into play on this. When you see the images of people walking out of a Neiman Marcus in San Francisco with $900 worth of stuff, and it's broadcast on the news saying, well, no, you don't get arrested for that in San Francisco. And it, and it plays down the Fox News uh, uh, loop and then spreads to Facebook and to everything else. When you see lawlessness like that, um, the sense that society is falling apart, right, that doesn't help the Democratic Party's cause, right? And right now, I think it's really important to understand, you know, Biden won by 45,000 votes across three states. Close election. When, when you look at the fragility of the coalition, you had a coalition that came together in 2018 to put Nancy Pelosi in the speaker's chair. And that coalition basically of Republicans, Democrats, independents, progressives, said nationally, we got to put a check on Trump. That's what 18 was about. By 20, that coalition fell apart, right? That, that coalition maintained for Biden, but not below ballot, but came back to life in Georgia, in part because of some of the Trump, Trump craziness. And so it's that coalition, which is fragile, that matters a lot in, in 2022. Um, you'll have total chaos if uh, Republicans take the House. Um, definitely Biden will be impeached. And then that sets Trump up, of course, you know, um, you know for his comeback candidacy in 2024. So it's a, it's a hugely important election. Steve, we had uh, Terry McAuliffe on the show earlier. And he was also emphasizing how this has become a, a very nationalized race. And in many ways, he's running against Trump as much as he's running against Youngkin. What, what do you make of that strategy? And should, should we be running against Trump in these races? And should we be running against the January 6th insurrection? Are these things that we should be putting front and center out there? So I think we're in, a, we're in a bit of a transition, right, in this. And I was just talking to someone about this. Um, before we started the Lincoln Project, my point of view on this was that the first issue in this election was Trump. The next 5 million issues in the election were Trump and the next 10 million after that. <laughs> so like whatever issue you wanted to talk, right, at number 15 million, right, that was, I was fine with that. 
But even if Trump's the candidate in 2024, I don't think the election is going to be about Trump. I think it's going to be about us as a society, because there's not a lot of new information, right, that that we're going to find out about about any of this, right? Um, and so I think that when we when we look at the whole of everything, what this moment requires is a laying out of some choices uh, about where we go as a country, as a, as a society. And the truth is the Republican Party is a lot more radical, a lot more extreme, a lot more invested and committed to the big lie than it was a year ago. And what the Republican Party will be in two years will be different than what it was in 20, different than what it was in the year that, that Trump was elected. And I think that we have to figure out as a society, how is it that at a moment where people are making billions of dollars dividing and inflaming, right, that we reject maybe what's the greatest lie of all, which is that in this country of 350 million people, if someone is different from you, looks different from you, thinks differently from you, they're, the, you're, they're, they're your mortal enemy that needs to be, that needs to be destroyed. Um, I, I was on, I did Ari Melber's show the other night and I, I love, like I, I watch Ari's show, um, you know, it's great and they, and they asked me to react to a Daily Show clip of um, Jordan interviewing. The first guy was a, you know, kind of middle-aged guy, pickup truck, right. talking about the QAnon shaman isn't even for Trump. The CIA did it. Yep, there was yep, no insurrection, that. right? And and then it was two women who were festooned in American flag clothing. The one saying, you know, this isn't a cult. There's right, nothing occult, culty about this. Right, it's <laughs> not like a cult. And, you know, what I said was, which was true, is, you know, look, you know, these people have opted out of reality, right? We got we got 30% of the country there. But, but, but it was like one of the rare times in the last couple of years where I got off TV and I was like, I wish I said something different. And what I wish I said was, that guy next to the pickup truck, that guy's a victim, right? And, 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 and when you look at him, right, he's a victim who's on the bottom rung, right, of a ladder in this country, right? Bottom rung or two. And then, and then you go to the women. And I was just thinking, like, do people like us ever get tired about laughing at them? Like, just like, is it ever like tedious? You ever worn out by it? Like, cause like, I, I'm kind of worn out by it. Right. And you know, it's funny at one level, like as you, as you look at this, but we do have something in common with these people. Um, one is we're American citizens. Um, two, um, like all of our grandkids and great grandkids, right. Are going to be living together with these people's great grandkids. <laughs> Right totally, in the absolutely. in the in in the country, and, and and we're just we're gonna have to figure out 
um, how to bring down some of the better angels of our, of our history. Because if we stay in this cycle perpetually, you can only keep them across the other side of the bridge for so long before they're going to break through in a closely divided country. And we're going to be in a lot of trouble because the way you lose democracy in America is by an elections process. It's not going to be a coup, right? But the, the, the great crisis will be when you have an elected government that's in power that refuses next time to yield it and is able to pull it off successfully, which they came a lot closer to doing than I think most people understand. Just how do we do all this when they're not living in the same reality? Like if, if you say the sky is blue and they swear that it's green, like how do you even have that conversation? I think that we have to start looking at a structural level um, about information in this country, how it moves, and, and what the outcome is, right? That we have enough perspective, um, you know, after, you know, 10 plus years of people walking around staring at their phone screens, right? What's the societal impact will be, right? And, and the truth is, if you, if you set up a Facebook account and you say like, I like America and I like Donald Trump and I like this, um, you're down a wormhole, right? You're imprisoned algorithmically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a we have a epidemic exacerbated by COVID, but I think existed pre-COVID of loneliness and isolation in this country. And so part of this extremist movement is that Trump has given people who are lonely a sense of community. It's a vile, terrible community, but should recognize the power of belonging to people who have felt dispossessed and, and don't belong. Um, we've lost completely a story, the narrative thread of something that unites us in this country. Um, you know, that's, that's bigger. Um, if you're traveling abroad and you saw an American in trouble, would you help them? I would. Would you, would you ask to see their voter registration before you before you did, I wouldn't. Um, you know, there's a there's a there's a there's a Hulu series on um, called Dope Sick. I encourage everybody uh, to watch it and to understand. And these people are all Trump voters, right? But we're going to sit around and scratch our heads and judge and laugh why they might be skeptical of taking a vaccine. You know, within a few years of the same government that told them OxyContin was good to go. Right. That the stealing of these people's dignity, right, in their in their in their in their lives, in the rage, in the collapse of the social compact, and the collapse of the middle class, the language of contempt and condescension, which just flows back and forth. There, there has to be a retreat from it. Um while at the same time, right, there is a zero accommodation, zero tolerance uh, position uh, with regard to dealing with the fascist and the white nationalist and the white extremist and all of these other noxious groups, because no, they don't get a seat at the table. They need to be buried back under 
proverbial concrete for the health of our society. Right. And uh, going back to Congress, Congress for a second, um, what do you make of this new bombshell report out that the January 6th protest organizers say they participated in dozens of planning meetings with Congress and Trump White House staff? When you read the reports, it's the necessity of this committee, right, of finding out exactly what happened, right, is we, we, need, we need to know. Um, we need to know exactly what happened. I, when I read that, I think like in, in, in you know, my, li- my long list of flaws in life, having a lack of imagination about Trump and these guys isn't one of them, right? <laughs> you know, um, you, when I read that, I said, is it, is it possible the members of the United States Congress were actively in meetings where the prospect of violence, the prospect of storming the Capitol to interrupt a constitutional process of counting votes in the oldest constitutional republic in the world, did that, that, that happen? And, and so like, I, I just, you know, I, I, wanna, I, I wanna understand from the committee and I want to understand as matters of fact, right? Not, you know, anonymous quotes from, you know, people that were involved in these events. Um, but, but if so, when we find out, it's, it's shocking, it's staggering. Um, you know, the idea that a member of Congress can do that and the Justice Department isn't going to prosecute it um, is astounding. Um, if, if that should be the case, but, but we need to know. And, um, and, 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 and we need to reckon with um, why it is that all of the accountability thus far for this seems to be bottom, you know, bottom of the ladder, you know, not top of it. Well, to that, let me ask you about a member of Congress who has admitted to being part of planning sessions, and that being Marjorie Taylor Greene, who obviously has way too much time on her hand, uh, especially being kicked off of, I think, every committee that she was on. (laughs) Today, she tried to get into a Twitter war uh, with AOC uh, again for like the fifth time. But anyway, how does her story end, right? Will she face justice for her involvement in the January 6th insurrection? I honestly don't know. Um, She is a dangerous political extremist. Um the first of a category or the leading edge of a category maybe as a is a is a better uh is a better description that's frightening and i think that all over the country state legislative chambers right you got dozens more marjorie taylor greens right you got you got hundreds running running for school boards all over all over the all over the country right so we don't we don't have a marjorie taylor green problem in america we have a we have a political extremism problem in america uh, around which you know marjorie marjorie taylor green is a leading you know anti-semitic crazy as batshit you know member but we look at this through a prism of we got a Marjorie Taylor Greene problem, I think, to our detriment, um, because the problem, as bad as that would be, um, is, much, is much worse. But if you have a member of Congress, who, by the way, on the 6th, I think would have been a member of Congress for five days, 
right? On her, in, on her fifth day of Congress, she was involved in an attack on the capital of the United States, right? Her, her, her position in high office should not immunize her from 100%. consequences. It should exacerbate the consequences. 1,000%. And then do you think Democrats are up for this battle, this battle to save our democracy? Desmond Tutu was asked um, a, a question about if evil was more powerful than good. And he responded by saying, no, but it's better organized. And we, as a political movement of which we are a part of, um, whatever amount of money Joe Manchin is comfortable ultimately spending, right, as a matter of personal politics, I would be for at least a dollar less, <laughs> right? And probably, and, and probably, and probably more, <laughs> right? I, under, I understand, right, that um, like Republicans or former Republicans, fiscally conservative people that, right, we, 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 are, we are compelled, if you believe in democracy now, to support agendas and, and, and on issues just as a matter of pragmatism um, that you wouldn't normally do to maintain this coalition. But we have to understand the boundaries of this coalition and how you break it. And, and where the majority of the country is on any one of a number of different issues and their concerns around them, because the stakes in this election are incredibly high. And, you know, you're smoking crack if you believe, right, that the Democrats right here now as, right, the, the first 100 days coverage when Joe Biden's being compared to FDR, right, we've moved beyond that stage. Right. Like we're deep. We're now deep into the season. Right. We're deep into we're deep into the season. Right. We're we're one year in from the election just about. And we're one year out. Who's winning? Bad guys are winning. Right. They've had a They've had a great year. Right. They're they're They are harder. They are more committed. Crazier deeply invested in this big lie and they believe they're going to take power in the in the November election and so the answer to the republican culture war cannot be here's the infrastructure bill Though as someone who in the pre-COVID days used to travel 350,000 miles a year, right? There's no one who loves the idea of investing in American infrastructure more than I do, right? It's decrepit, right? It's, it's, but that's not, that's not what the election has to be about. The, the election has to be about communicating, right? To parts of that coalition that in fact, no, right? you're not on the side of the same types of people that were spitting on the black children in, in the 1950s and 60s, trying to keep them out of the schoolhouse. You don't want that. You're not for that, right? De Democrats have to wage a culture war back 
that speaks to a sense of purpose and national unity and a vision for the future that is better, right, than an ideological left version of what Trump is offering, because that's terrible. Um, and so it's not about Biden. It's not about Chuck Schumer. It, it's not about even the Senate and the Washington majorities, right? It's, we, have a, we have a societal issue, right? As, as we get ready now, three years out from another presidential election, right? That, that's going to decide the trajectory of this country for a long time to come. I mean, everybody should be deeply disturbed that CPAC is going to Budapest to a proto-fascist Eastern European capital teeming with anti-Semitism to hold their conservative convention, right? Should be a big story in this country that a presidential candidate, a former vice president of the United States, like less than a year ago, is standing on a stage with a bunch of European fascists in Budapest. It's a big deal that Tucker Carlson is broadcasting from there. It is a big deal that Elise Stefanik of Harvard University, an alumni of the Bush administration, is full on embracing white supremacist replacement theory in her campaign ads. And it, and it draws a collective yawn. The, the communications of what's at stake, you know, in my view, have been deeply lacking. And it's unfair to put it all on the magic president, you know, to wave some type of wine from behind the magic podium to make everything better. I mean, that's, that's not going to happen. And so, um, you know, I, you know, I, you know, one of the reasons I listen to, to your podcast is that um, it gives voice to the urgency of the of the moment uh, and what's at stake and 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 that's and and that in the end you know if we live in a country where no one cares about living in a democracy we're we're, we're going to lose the democracy that's you can't you know there's a there's a companion guide to the constitution called the federalist papers right you know a type of manual if you will right and you know, if you get into the gist of it, right, updated, you know, for 30 seconds, right, 21st century TikTok generation is this. If no one gives a fuck, you lose it. It's gone. And, and that's the edge I think we're on. Steve Schmidt, we'll keep fighting. We appreciate you for supporting the podcast. We support everything you've done, everything the Lincoln Project's done to fight for our democracy. And we truly appreciate you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Great to be with you guys. Steve. Schmidt, what everybody. A, Terry what an episode. Call if everybody. The Midas touch, everybody. Jordy, take your curtain call. Let's go. Let's go. This was Let's an go. A. Well, I mean, we we always have A episodes. This was an A plus plus, fellas. Here's what I want to say. If you enjoyed today's episode, support our sponsors, support uh, Policy Genius, BetterHelp, and Feels, and give this podcast a five star rating in your favorite podcast app. And make sure you're subscribed. Some people listen and go to the episodes every week. Make sure you click that plus sign in Apple Podcasts or follow or subscribe. Whatever the app calls it. Every app calls it something different now. But make sure you're subscribed to the Midas Touch podcast and all of our podcasts.
Yeah, and check us out on YouTube too. The YouTube channel keeps growing exponentially. And the great thing about that is you get to see us talking with Terry, with Steve Schmidt, with all of our guests, if you watch us live on our YouTube. Absolutely. So we thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Midas Touch podcast. We thank you for our support. Again, you can even go check out the Midas Touch merch. We've got great Saki Bomb merch. Go to the Midas Touch merch. We appreciate your support. We're going to keep fighting. In fact, as we've been recording this podcast, I've actually been seeing a lot more requests, Brett, from media about um, our Trump ad that's in <laughs> about the Trump ad in Mar-a-Lago. Oh, yeah. So stay tuned for more info on that on the next Midas Touch podcast. And for now, I'm Ben. You got Brett. You got Jordy fighting. It's our pleasure to fight with you for our democracy. We'll see you next time. Shout out to the Midas Mighty!